got a, uh, an outline of today's uh, talk where we're going to be starting to understand um, different types of doubt and to get a framework within which to work. But before I uh, speak to this, let me uh, pray for us. Heavenly Father, uh, we live in a world where we do not yet see you face to face. We live in a world where we are called to live by faith and not by sight. Uh, and in many ways, uh, doubts may assail us at various points in our journey, our Christian journey. As we reflect over these next three sermons on this whole topic of doubt, uh, we pray that we would have a clear understanding of what doubt is uh, and how we can navigate through it, how it can be at times a positive force in our lives uh, and how we can draw us to a deeper trust in you. So we ask this all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So doubt. Uh, doubt can be the sort of thing which just nibbles away as a sort of a little irritating itch in the back of our minds. Uh, it can be this sort of unease that what we believe doesn't somehow match with reality. Uh, that can be one form of doubt, that little niggle at the back of our minds. And uh, other times in our life, we can find that doubt comes crashing in on us like a tsunami. It can shake the very foundations of our life. It can pull the rug from underneath us. Recall uh, in my teenage years, uh, I had a very good friend called John who uh, became a Christian and uh, we uh, attended the local Christian youth club together and he was a very good friend. And as we then moved into our 20s and our 30s, uh, sadly as we look back on that quite sizable group of contemporaries from the Christian youth club, many of them had fallen away from their Christian faith. Uh, but John continued. Uh, he held true. He married a wonderful Christian woman and they had three uh, Christian girls, uh, three girls. So, wonderful family. And then I contacted him um, in the, because I lost touch with him, but I met up with him again uh, when he was 33. And I never forget the words he then uttered. He said, oh, I no longer believe in this Christianity stuff. Uh, that is something of the past for me now. Uh, that was a real shock to me. Uh, here, it seemed, was a friend who had a real deep faith, and he uh, had weathered the storms. Uh, unlike many others, he had continued in his faith, and yet he had got to the point where doubts had got him and brought him to the point where he said, I no longer believe it. It is very important, therefore, that we think about this whole area of doubts and we develop an understanding of it. And what we're going to do this week is look at, and it may be helpful to look at the outline we've got, uh, we're going to firstly identify the three types of doubt. Uh, firstly, philosophical, which is where we ask that question, uh, is Christianity true? Uh, then doctrinal doubts, where we ask the question, do I correctly understand the truth of the gospel? Uh, and thirdly, personal doubt, uh, is the gospel true for me? So we'll look at the three types of doubt. Uh, we'll then ask that question, uh, is doubt always a sin, or can it be a positive force in our lives? And then finally, we're going to look at the three causes of doubt, uh, the world, the flesh, and the devil. So that's where we're going to go uh, this morning. So let's think firstly about three types of doubts. And we come to the first one, which we're calling uh, philosophical doubt. Is Christianity true? Uh, this is where we, we pose to ourselves such questions as, does God really exist? Uh, did Jesus really rise from the dead? 
Is the Bible really God's inspired word or is it just another book? Maybe we look at all the other world religions and we live in a multicultural society and do we not sometimes ask, is Jesus the only way to God the Father? And so we can be assailed with what we call uh, philosophical doubts. Is Christianity really true? When we go to the Psalms, uh, we see there the expression and the pouring out of the hearts of the psalmist. And sometimes they are psalms where the psalmist is being very real and honest about his own struggles, and in some cases, his doubts. And indeed, the the psalmist of Psalm 73, uh, he was struggling with doubts. Uh, He looked at the people around him who weren't following God's way, and they were prospering. Uh, They were having the best of life. And it caused him to really have the foundations of his own faith shaken. Uh, Psalm 73, verse 2, he says this. As for me, my feet had almost slipped. I'd nearly lost my foothold. He's talking about his faith. He had nearly said, I'm jacking this all in. This is a waste of time. It just doesn't work. So he'd experienced this seismic shifting in his faith. Uh, Verse 13 continues to unpack his heart and the the trauma in his heart. He says, Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. He's saying it's all been a waste of time. I've tried to live God's way, but it's all been in vain. Uh, Fortunately for the psalmist, uh, we see that he didn't remain in that dark place of despair and doubt. Uh, The second half of the psalm charts his journey back to a firmer, and a deeper faith, where he works through his doubts. So verse 16, uh, this is the turning point. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me, till I entered the sanctuary of God, and then I understood their final destiny. So he goes to the temple, and there, suddenly, he steps back, and he sees reality as it truly is. He sees, if you like, the situation in the perspective of eternity. And he sees that ultimately their final destiny, even though they're having a good time now, is eternal loss and eternal ruin. And by the end of the psalm, he is celebrating his reaffirmed faith. Verse 28. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. So he's come back now to a place of reassurance, of renewed confidence in God and his way. So we're thinking about philosophical doubt. Is Christianity true? We can be faced with this sorts of doubt uh, in many different life situations. There can be many different catalysts which will prompt this sort of doubt in our hearts and our minds. It may be personal suffering, especially when maybe we contrast our lives with the seemingly carefree lives of those who don't have any trust in Christ. Uh, The catalyst may be those moments when we step back from the business of our everyday lives and we actually say, why do I believe what I believe? And what is the Christian faith all about? Sometimes do we not have that sort of moment when we think, is it possible that I have been duped? Uh, Maybe I'm just a product of my, my family background or my society. Uh, I remember one time when uh, I was out in rural New South Wales and uh, went out at night and far away from those horrible lights of the city 
and uh, enjoyed the perfect darkness of the, the rural New South Wales. And after a while, of course, as my eyes accumulated to the darkness, you start to see the stars in all their vast array. And so I actually thought, gosh, you know, I lay back on a bench and just spent like a while looking up at them all. And it suddenly occurred to me, how can I possibly claim to have a personal relationship with the God who made all of that? How can it be true? Surely not. Such vast universes going on for ad infinitum. The God who made all of that, I believe I can know personally through trusting Christ. There it is. A philosophical doubt. Is it really true? So you see, no Christian is immune from this. Uh, whatever, even church leaders, and maybe especially church leaders. I remember when um, the former Archbishop of uh, the Anglican Church in Sydney, uh, Peter Jensen, was talking at Moore College, and he shared how he himself had times when he had doubts. Nobody is immune from doubt. So that's the first type of doubt, uh, philosophical doubt. Uh, the second type of doubt we're going to think about is what we're going to call uh, doctrinal doubt, uh, do I correctly understand the truth? And we can especially be confronted with this sort of doubt when maybe we come up against alternative views of biblical truth. Uh, maybe uh, we engage with people who are outside of the fold of what we'd call orthodox Christianity. Uh, maybe we speak to and we befriend people who are, say, Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, and, of course, they do not believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And engaging with them or people from other religions, we may start to ask the question, have I got it wrong? Uh, are they right? Because uh, we can't both be right. So you can have that sort of doctrinal doubt when we engage with people who uh, are outside of the Christian fold. But we can also have that doctrinal doubt when we're engaging with people within the Christian fold. Uh, such issues as uh, the doctrine of hell. Do I really believe that God will send people who don't trust in Christ to a lost eternity in an awful place of anguish? The doctrine of hell. And sometimes we will find people within, within the Christian church who will say, no, I don't believe that. And it causes us to question ourselves. Do I believe that or not? Uh, maybe the doctrine of the atonement, that Christ, the purpose of Christ is that he died in our place. There will be some people in the Christian church, of course, who don't believe that. And then we call to question, do I believe that? So that's the second time of doubt, uh, doctrinal doubt. Uh, thirdly, personal doubt. And this is where they ask the question, uh, we're not questioning whether God is there and whether it's true. Uh, we're not questioning that we, whether we have a correct understanding of the truth, but we have this personal application to ourselves. Is it true for me? So maybe we doubt God's presence with us. Maybe God seems far away. Maybe we doubt in the face of a repeated sin, am I truly forgiven? Maybe when things in our life seem to be out of control, when things in our life take unexpected turns, we ask the question, is God really in control of my life? And so we struggle with personal doubt I know what I should believe, but do I actually believe it? Is it true for me in this situation? So those are the three types of doubt, and it's helpful, therefore, to hold that distinction in our minds uh, as we think about doubt. 
Let's move on to think about the question, is doubt a sin? Is doubt a sin? Because the point is this, some doubt, I would say to you, is positive. Some doubt has a positive role in our life, and I would say even an essential role in our life. But of course, there are other sorts of doubt which are negative and which are sinful. And so it's important that we think through this question, is doubt a sin? So doubt can play a vital role in stimulating the growth of our own faith. Uh, We may well at times be confronted with questions that we cannot answer in terms of what we believe. And this may actually expose the shallowness of our own understanding. Maybe it's exposing that actually we're a bit half-baked in this area. We haven't thought it through very well. We haven't dug down and really thought through this in a clear way. I refer to my friend John, who fell away from the Christian faith. And uh, John had a very good brain. Uh, when he was a Christian, he used it for, for good. He was a, a great proponent of the gospel. But when he went uh, to and gave up his faith, he then became a very vociferous opponent of the gospel. Uh, and one of the things he attacked was the God's word being true. And I remember talking to him uh, and discussing it with him. And there were times when I found he would unsettle me. Uh, we would talk about the basis which we believe God's word to be God's word. And yeah, there were times I think, mm, I feel like I'm getting to the edge of my, my knowledge in this area. And that was a doubt, but it actually spurred me on in a positive way. Because I then thought, I really need to dig down in this area. And indeed, it created within me a real appetite for digging down books which would address this whole area of uh, basis in which we can believe God's word to be true. Uh, Books which address uh, the supposed inconsistencies in the Bible, whatever they be. So you see, this was an example where this doubt led to me being aware of the shallowness of my own understanding and being motivated to dig down deeper and to get a firmer foundation. And it has a positive role. See, the thing is, when we come up against questions we can't answer, the problem is not with the Christian faith. The problem is not with the gospel. It is with our understanding of the Christian faith or the gospel. And so, you see, doubt can be a positive force. It causes us to dig deeper and to look into the evidence as to why we believe what we do believe. So, there is a positive role for doubt Uh, And that would be in this area of uh, philosophical doubt uh, and doctrinal doubt. But there is also a negative area of doubt. And it becomes a a negative area when it actually starts to undermine our faith and when we start to migrate to an area in our life and our hearts where we disbelieve. And that can be a very dangerous situation to be in as a Christian. Uh, where it starts to harden into unbelief in our hearts, where we no longer maybe genuinely seek the truth. Uh, we get to the point where maybe we say, I've made up my mind, uh, don't confuse me with the facts. Uh, in discussions with my friend John, uh, he pointed me to one website where um, these quite aggressive uh, opponents of the gospel were, were engaging with Josh McDowell on one of his uh, websites where Josh McDowell was a great uh, 
apologist of the Christian faith. He presented a lot of evidence for Christian faith being true. Uh, and these people were basically trying to rubbish everything he was saying. And so they had this sort of blog going, but uh, Josh McDowell didn't engage in the blog. And at first I thought, oh, maybe they've got him on the back foot. Maybe uh, they've, they've cornered him. Uh, but I came to realize after a while that actually that's probably not, I'm sure it was not what was happening. I'm convinced that Josh McDowell said, these people don't really want to know the truth. They just want to have a good fight with me over it. They're not genuinely seeking to find answers to these questions. I think if they had been, and if he'd discerned that, he'd have had all the time in the world for them. But their hearts had hardened to the point where they didn't believe it, and they just wanted to have a good argument to maintain their point of view. Uh, I think it relates to that passage in Matthew 7, verse 6, where it talks about, don't throw your pearls before swine. Uh, sometimes people are so hardened in their hearts against the gospel we try and share the gospel with them, and yet, in effect, sometimes we're actually throwing pearls before swine. So, uh, doubts can be negative in that way. So we're going to go on to think about uh, personal doubt, because there's another area of doubt we need to think about where we see that doubt is not sinful. Sometimes personal doubt can be brought about by what we call um, biological factors. So we may doubt God's presence with us uh, or him working out his purpose in our lives due to, uh, say, mental illness or exhaustion. Uh, Maybe those who struggle with depression or postnatal depression or obsessive compulsive disorder. Maybe they struggle with doubts by virtue of their condition. Maybe there are phases of life when we are more vulnerable to doubt, when we are parents of little kids, when we are sleep-deprived. The point is this, that our biology can affect our theology. Uh, I remember the uh, pastor of one church uh, recounting how um, the period when he was engaged to his wife and they were due to get married, and then his wife came to him a week before their marriage and said, I'm having doubts about whether we should get married. Uh, being quite a wise, cluey guy, he realized that the poor woman was just exhausted and she just needed to go and have a good night's sleep and everything would be all right in the morning. Uh, She did have a good night's sleep and in the morning, sure enough, everything was right. Uh, In that particular instance, those doubts were generated just by her being exhausted. And sometimes we need to recognize that. So sometimes doubt is not a sin where it's just a product of our human frailty. And then sometimes uh, if we're suffering from some sort of medical condition or depression, uh, we do need to get the appropriate medical uh, attention where necessary or medication or indeed just sleep. But there is another area where it is sinful uh, to doubt, and that is where it is uh, arising out of a failure to trust God's word or his promises. So, uh, this is thinking now of an area of personal doubt where it is sinful. Uh, It's not sinful where it's due to our medical condition, uh, but it is sinful where we fail to trust God's promises and his word. Uh, You remember the, the man who came to Jesus, who wanted Jesus to heal his son, and Jesus said, do you believe? And what does the man cry? I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. And so there it is, that that cry out to to Jesus, please help me, I'm struggling to believe. 
And where we are failing to trust in God's word or his promises, actually that is sinful. And we need to acknowledge that and to say to Jesus, please help me to overcome my unbelief. So we've thought about three types of doubt. Uh, We've thought about the different situations where either doubt is a positive force, but also where it's a negative force. Uh, In closing, let's think of three causes of doubt. It's what we're going to call uh, an unholy trinity, uh, the unholy trinity which opposes God's work, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Because all these three factors work against us uh, and pull us towards uh, unhealthy, destructive doubt. So firstly, uh, the world which pulls away from, from God. Uh, in the Bible, the term world is used in different ways. Uh, think of John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Uh, it's talking there, of course, about the peoples of the world. But in other places in the Bible, the term world is used in a different sense. Uh, the term world is used to convey uh, the ethos of society and of uh, humanity. Uh, this ethos where humanity has no place for God in their world. Uh, God is relegated to a, the margins of life as an irrelevance. And the ethos of this worldly view, of course, uh, promotes lifestyles that seek fulfillment and satisfaction in things other than God. And that is the ethos of our modern-day secular society. Uh, Romans 12, verse 2 talks about the world in this sense. Uh, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Because the pattern of this world is against God. The pattern of this world reinforces the lies of the devil, and it is a powerful influence. The pattern of this world is this general hostility to Christianity. It's the cynicism which we see every day in our media. Uh, Sometimes it can be subtle, and other times it can be more overt and in your face. Uh, That sneering derision heaped on Christians by uh, proponents of this, what we call the new atheism. Characters such as Richard Dawkins, uh, Daniel Dennett, uh, Sam Harris, uh, Christopher Hitchens when he was with us, he no longer is, uh, Michael Onfray. Uh, these are the, those called the, the new atheists. They are quite vociferous uh, opponents of the Christian faith. Uh, and often their attack is that they will attack uh, religion, and not just Christianity, but they'll attack religion and Christianity, uh, often by saying, Science and religion are opposed to each other. Um, You cannot believe both. Uh, So we see this attack in the world, and that is uh, the extreme form of that is in the new atheists. Uh, The new atheists, of course, say to us, if you're going to believe Christianity, you've got to basically leave your brain in a box. Uh, You can't have reason and Christian faith together. Uh, That's why next week we're going to spend a little time looking at the relationship between Christian faith and reason. Uh, Next week we'll think about the question, is Christian faith really a leap in the dark, as many people in our society today would say? Because, of course, the Christian does have to live by faith and not by sight during their earthly lives. What is Christian faith? And we'll think more about that next week. I mean, this whole point of uh, living by faith and not by sight uh, 
that's an important point for us to remember because of the reality is we cannot see God now. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, we say, Our Father who is in heaven. He's in heaven. He's not here for us to see with our eyes. Of course, one day, and we long for that day, we will see the Lord face to face. Uh, Romans, uh, Revelation 22 verse 4 says, They will see his face. But that day has not yet come. And so for now, we have to live by faith in the unseen God. And it's that faith which the world attacks. Uh, the world marshals this armory of lies and twisted truths to try and undermine our faith. And indeed, we have to endure this buffeting of our faith and the, by the world's lies. Now, think of some of the lies that the world says. The world says, uh, if God is loving... Why is there a hell? Implication, God is a despot. Do you really want to believe in that sort of God? Another lie of the world. All religions, including Christianity, cause war and misery. Implication, you're actually part of the problem, not the solution. Another lie of the world. Science is based on facts. Christianity is based on faith. Implication. Uh, Christianity is only for simple, foolish people. And if you believe it, you are a simple, simple, foolish person. So in many ways, you see, the world sometimes subtly attacks us and introduces doubts into our thinking and undermines the confidence in our faith. That's the first cause of doubt, the world. The ethos which we live in, which is this uh, mindset which lives life sees God as an irre irrelevance. Uh, the second cause of doubt is what we're going to call the flesh, uh, which is another way of talking about our humanity, our, our fallen sinful nature. Uh, we know, of course, when we put our faith in Christ, we are delivered once and, all and for all from the penalty of sin. Uh, we do not need to fear God's final judgment. But we also know that we are not yet delivered from the presence of sin in our life. Uh, that we will be delivered when we die and pass into the Lord's presence or when the Lord Jesus returns. But not before that day. And so we do know, don't we, that the Christian life is an ongoing struggle with sin. And the Christian life is all about being changed. Becoming more like the Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect human being. The perfect image of God. And so doubt is part of our struggle with sin. And it's part of what it means to grow in our faith as we struggle and we engage in the struggle with our sin. I've already referred to the fact that sometimes doubt is called by the frailty, caused by the frailty of the flesh by either physical or mental exhaustion. And that can be true in many different ways. Uh, also, sometimes we are affected by traumas in our life in the past which will cause us doubt in the present. Uh, so think about, for example, somebody who has been abused by their father. Uh, they are going to struggle with the concept of having God as a loving, heavenly father. And it will take time for them to rewire their thinking, to actually say, I'm willing to trust God as a loving Heavenly Father, even though my own experience 
of my earthly heavenly father has been very, very different. So sometimes trauma can cause us to struggle with doubt. And that is part of what it means to be living in a sinful world where we struggle with our inner self. The third type and cause of doubt is the devil. And in many ways, it is the devil who stands behind uh, the world and the flesh. Uh, The devil, of course, is the personal being who is personally committed to doing all possible to destroy us. Uh, He is the father of lies. He is the great accuser. And if he can't take us to hell, which he can't if we trust in Jesus, then he will do all possible to make our life on earth hell on earth. Uh, I went to uh, one church once where their mission statement was very good. It said this, uh, seeing lives transformed through Jesus Christ to the glory of God. That's a great mission statement. Seeing lives transformed through Jesus Christ to the glory of God. And yet, if we were to look to the devil's mission statement, it would be exactly the same with one word different. Resisting seeing lives transformed through Jesus Christ to the glory of God. He wants to resist that. He will do all possible to resist seeing lives beautifully transformed through Jesus Christ to the glory of God. He hates God and he wants to do all possible to tarnish that glory. Uh, He shoots his arrows of doubt to cripple and to maim our faith. And that, of course, is why the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 6, verse 16, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. The devil is the father of lies, and he can sow lies into our minds and our hearts. And sometimes one of the lies he will sow will be when we have something in our past which we really deeply regret as a Christian. Maybe something we did or something we said which still haunts us to this day. And the lie which Satan will sow in our minds is this. Do you really think that you can be forgiven for that sin? Surely not. And so he sows the lie which tries to cause us to doubt Effectively, the power of the cross. The power of the cross to forgive all sin. I had a friend in London who um, had uh, become a Christian in her 20s. Uh, prior to that, uh, she had lived quite a wild life, uh, including having um, many relationships, and she was uh, very sexually liberal in those relationships. And as a Christian now, she looked back on that era of her life with um, with great grief and regret. Uh, she couldn't change it, of course. And often she found that the devil would sow that lie in her mind. Uh, look what you did in the past. Can you really be forgiven for that? And she shared with me, whenever she gets those, those lies in her mind, she had a special verse of Scripture which she'd memorized for those occasions. And it was Romans 8, verse 1. And she would say this to herself. Therefore, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. She would minister to her own heart. She would extinguish the flaming arrow of the evil one through bringing the gospel and the shield of the gospel to bear. Therefore, there is now no condemnation 
for those who are in Christ Jesus. No matter what has happened in the past, Christ's blood is sufficient for every sin, no matter how large, no matter how many times it has been committed. And another way in which the devil can cause us to doubt and can sow his, his, sow, sow his uh, thoughts of doubt is when we're in situations of great suffering, when tragedies or hardships strike. Because it is in those times when the devil whispers in our ears, is God really still in control? Can God really still be working out his purposes through your life, even through this. That was the problem with the Israelites in the desert. They doubted God's goodness. They were in hard times. It is hard to be in the desert. It is hard to be in a place where there is no food and there's no water. But they made the mistake of doubting God's goodness. And they doubted his word. And they doubted that They doubted he would provide for them. And they doubted that he would ultimately bring them to the promised land. When we're in the desert of life, when we're in dark times, we will be tempted to doubt God's goodness and his presence with us. And it's in those times that we need to hang on to the Lord Jesus. Uh, The church I was involved in uh, in London had a... uh, junior minister at the time called uh, Justin and uh, there was one day when he uh, was called out of a meeting and he was told uh, quite shocking news that his wife had been killed in a a multiple car pileup on the motorway in fog uh, on one of the motorways uh, to the south. Uh, It was devastating news. Uh, He was in his young man in his 30s as was his wife and the senior minister uh, who was a very wise and godly man uh, Went to, went to him and said this. He says, keep reading at Romans 8.28 until you believe it. Keep reading Romans 8.28 until you believe it. I'm sure we all know here Romans 8.28, but do we believe it? In times of great darkness, In times of the desert, those are the times when we really need to say, I need to reread that so that I truly believe it. Because Romans 8, 28 says, of course, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. He will use bad times and hard times as well as good times to transform us, to have lives transformed through Jesus Christ to God's glory. And it's in those dark times we need to reread Romans 8.28 until we not just know it, but we believe it. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, as we've reflected on the types of doubt and we've reflected on the causes of doubt, uh, we see that in many ways uh, we will stray into times of doubt in our lives, in our Christian walks. Uh, We do pray that you would help us to uh, 
Use doubt positively where it is a force which draws us to desire a deeper understanding of what we believe. Uh, Where doubt is due to the whispers of Satan, where he tries to to derail us in our Christian faith, uh, we pray that we would be drawn back to your word and your promises and would hold on to them more tightly such that we continue to trust you even in really dark, dark times. Please, we pray, help us to live lives increasingly which are transformed through Jesus Christ to your glory. Amen.